Well, good morning, Village Church. I'm Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Village. If you know me, you know me. If you don't, you might think I'm a guest. So it's, uh, it's been a little while since I've been able to stand up here behind this pulpit and open up uh, the Word of God for us as a church. And um, as one of your pastors, I just want to say thank you for so many things. And, uh, you know, if you're one of our Village partners, you got a letter from me on Thanksgiving Day just thanking you for a few of those things. But I just want to say as I stand up here, um, having not been here in a few weeks, I'm thankful that our church is filled with pastors who know how to open God's word for God's people. Have you enjoyed hearing from God through his word, through his pastors the past few weeks? It's been a blessing. And, and I got to say, in this season of life and as a season as a pastor, it's such a blessing to, to see the other pastors in our church open up God's word and do that so well and serve his people so well. I'm thankful for that. And so... If you're one of our pastors, I just want to say thank you to you publicly this morning. And if, if you're a village partner, you're going to see and hear from Pastor Sean and Pastor David during Advent season. And, and uh, God's graced us with pastors that know how to do this and do it well. And we're grateful for that. I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for a church that, um, that loves the Capital C Church. Over the last two months, I've had the privilege of being in uh, a little town outside of Portland, Oregon, about an hour and a half outside of helping a church that's really struggling. The pastor's wife in that church confessed that she had had a crisis of faith, that things had been so hard, and the pastor didn't know if he was staying. And, you know, our church has a heart for these things, and I got to be up there two weekends in the last two months helping them and being with their church family and walking them through some things to help them be healthy. And by God's grace, I think they're turning a corner. And so I just want to say thank you to you as a church. So this is part of what we've done over the life of our church in different seasons, helped other churches like this. And I'm grateful that we're able to help with things like that as a church. So thank you, Village Church, all right? Into Thanksgiving this morning? Okay. We're headed into a, a season of, of tradition. Um, traditions uh, include a few things. We do traditions because we rehearse certain things over and over again. We rehearse these things because we want to remember certain things. Right? We want to reflect on certain things. And we are headed into a season with Thanksgiving and the Advent season where we do more of this in this season of the year than any time during the year. We remember and then we reflect and then we reaffirm things through these traditions. We do traditions because they help us to reaffirm certain things. And this morning we have kind of a, a Thanksgiving tradition that's been developing over the last three to five years. It's maybe not as solidified as our Advent traditions, but it's growing on us. That on Thanksgiving weekend, we always take a time to re reflect and remember and reaffirm certain things together as a church. And this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to rehearse, remember, reflect. And then we're going to reaffirm certain things by reciting a Thanksgiving statement together. We're going to thank God together this morning for a number of things that he's blessed us with. A number of things that we can be thankful and grateful for. Maybe you did this as a family around the Thanksgiving table after the wind blew everything away. Don't you love that? Just cleaned all day the day before Thanksgiving and then cleaned up all day on Thanksgiving. And if you set a table outside, I'm sorry, right? That's like our stuff blew into the pool, right? That's just the way it was. But as we finally sat down around the table, right, you might have the tradition where you share some things that you're thankful for. This is a simple one. And maybe as you sat around the table, you heard people thanking Jesus for some of their material blessings. You may have thanked him that you're in college. You know, you understand not everyone gets to go to college, but you do. And we have a lot of students here this morning. Like, you're in college. You're in good colleges, and you're getting a great education. And some of you are thankful that you're there. 
and for the things that God's teaching you and preparing you for. I know you're thankful for a job. People, someone probably said, I'm thankful for my job. You realize some people don't have a job, or they don't have a job like yours, or they don't have a job that they enjoy, or they don't have a job that provides them the resource that your job does. Maybe you're home. Maybe you're sitting in a home. Maybe it was your first Thanksgiving in your home. Maybe you're trying to get into a home in this market, and you can't do that, and, and someone else prayed for that because they, they've been able to, and they recognize not everyone gets to do it, and they're grateful for the place they live or for the financial resource they have. These are material blessings. And from some of you, you thanked God for these things because, frankly, over the last couple of years, you've kind of just been getting by. Like this has been a hard season. You're just getting by, but you're grateful that you're getting by. God's provided for you. And for some of you, I know you, you're getting on. Man, this has been a great couple of years. And you understand that it's been very hard for a lot of people. But for you and your work, it's been really good in some ways, and you've been getting on, and you're grateful that in a season where so many people are struggling, you seem to be flourishing in some ways. There's a lot of thanks, I'm sure, for material blessings that went on around your table. But maybe you made your way past the material blessings. And maybe you made your way into some immaterial blessings. Maybe someone around your table said, I'm grateful that I'm healthy. In some ways, it's something I can control. In other ways, it's, it's totally out of my control. I'm grateful that I'm healthy. It's sort of an immaterial kind of thing, although it's tangible in some way. Or maybe a relationship. You're grateful for a relationship. We've got couples that have been engaged and gotten married in this church. People have had new children. They've made new friendships. You're grateful for the people that have been lifelong friends who are friends who are like family to you. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's an intangible blessing like wisdom. God's given you wisdom for a decision you've made in these last couple of years. You've made hard decisions, and God's led you in a certain way, and he's affirmed it, and it's sort of an intangible. You're so grateful for that. As Americans, we're grateful for our freedom, that we have freedom to gather and to worship. We're thankful for those things. I just want to say, whether it's, whether it's material blessing or immaterial blessing, we are always count our blessings. We're always thankful for our blessings. And as people, we always do that in light of the things that we understand others may not have, or we count our blessings in light of the fact that we understand we don't inherently deserve them. On the one hand, it's that there are other people that don't have what we have, and so we're saying we are thankful. And on the other hand, we know that we don't inherently deserve any of these things. They're gifts from God, and so we say, God, we are thankful we're thankful that we're in college because not everyone is. We're thankful we have a good job because not everyone does. We're thankful that we have financial margin because not everyone does. We're thankful that we're healthy because not everyone is. We're thankful for that relationship because not everyone has one like that. And by the way, we don't deserve any of these things. They're all gifts from God. And these material and immaterial blessings are all, though, just that. They're incredible blessings from God. They come from the hand of God. Over the years, one of the verses Dean and I come back over and over again is usually we talk about this on our anniversary. We talked about it before we got married, James 1.17, when we used to write little love notes to each other. This would be in the note. That's as far as I'll go for the notes. But that, this verse was in them, okay? James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is the one that gives all good gifts, including these ones, the material and the immaterial gifts. And because these blessings are from God, we never want to minimize these things. That's why we pause and say, God, thank you. 
thank you. Because these blessings are real, and they're needed, and they're desired by us as people. And they come from God. Amen? But as Christians, wait. They come from God. Is that right? Okay, good. Because amen means that is true, right? So like, so be it, that is true. Like, yes, they come from God. Right? But as Christians, there's actually another category of blessing that we have that other people who are not Christians don't have. And if you're not yet a Christian, we're not bragging this morning. We're just saying that by God's grace, there are certain things that as Christians we get to enjoy. And we don't inherently deserve them. And they are spiritual blessings. They're spiritual blessings. The Apostle Paul talks about these all over the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians, he says it this way, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And these are blessings that are freely given to us by God. And in verse 14, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they're folly to him, because he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We have blessings that have been given to us by God, and we only understand them because God's given us the, the insight by spirit to understand them. They're not inherently deserved by us. We can't attain them on our own. As Christians, the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us has been shown to you. You see it. And these blessings are only blessings a Christian can know about and can enjoy. And there's a place in the Bible that we've gone to before, years ago in Ephesians. We're going to go there again this morning, Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can open your Bible to Ephesians. It's been a while since we've taught through that book of the Bible. I'm going to take a chunk this morning, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And in Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, there's a place that I, I don't know where that we would rehearse greater blessings, greater spiritual blessings that God has given to us than, than in Ephesians 1. And starting in Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing that we have. I mean, there are material blessings, and then there's an order above that. Immaterial blessings, and there's an order above that. Spiritual blessings, and Christians get this. By God's grace. Now, look, Paul's not going to have time to, to talk about every spiritual blessing because that would be impossible. Because the blessings that we have in Jesus are infinite and they're immeasurable. But Paul does tell us a little something about seven spiritual blessings we can thank God for. And I think the first one is found in verse 4. Look at it. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy before him. In Jesus, we are we're chosen. In Jesus, we are chosen. We are chosen by God. Now listen to me. Every human being in human history, knowing that God exists, and you heard me right, knowing that God exists. I ran into a guy at the counter the other day who, who told me he doesn't believe in the fairy. He's an atheist. Listen, he does. He does. He, he doesn't want to be accountable to him. That's the idea. The Bible says that every person knows the reality that God exists based on the things that God created. And every human being in human history, knowing that God exists, has chosen to either run away from God in rebellion or to try to return to God through religion. Tim Keller has said a lot about this. And both of these ways 
of looking at our spiritual condition as either rebels or religious people, and they're self-centered, right? I mean, how self-centered could it be to run away from God? Or how self-centered could it be to, to think that we have, can do enough as human beings to earn back our relationship with God? And so sinful, self-centered living breaks our relationship with God and with others and our collective cultures. It breaks the societies and it separates us from God who is perfect and holy. And God is perfect and holy and he's just. And because he's perfect and holy and he's just, he has to punish sin. This self-centeredness, this rebellion against God that breaks our relationship with him and others and destroys societies and cultures and brings all of the brokenness that's in the world to the world. And because we've sinned against the perfect and holy and eternal God, if God is just, he has to punish sin in a perfect and an eternal way. And if you're not yet a Christian, Christians call that hell because that's what the Bible calls it, eternal separation from God. No relationship with God reconciled ever, not even now or in eternity. And as Christians, we believe the Bible teaches that God is perfectly just to do this, that we've all chosen that way. We've all chosen that way. But God is not only just. You know what the good news this morning is? He's also merciful. God is merciful. He's just as merciful as he is just. And because he's merciful, he has chosen to save some. That he would apply the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus to those who would place their faith and their hope and their trust in him. One guy told it to me one time, it's like we're all on this train bound for this place that we all want to go, but it's not a great place. And we're going to go off the cliff eventually. And we're all on the train, and we deserve to be on the train. We've chosen to be on that train. But God in his mercy, because he is merciful, he's reached down and he's plucked some out of the train who he never had to, but because he's merciful, he did. And we were lost and we were guilty. But now because we're in Christ as Christians, we are chosen by God and we're blameless. That God knew before the foundation of the world that we would place our faith and our hope and our trust in him. He sees us as blameless in front of him as he saw his son. <laughs> what an incredible truth. You are chosen by God. Out of all of the people in the history of the world, out of all the people that currently live in the world today, for some reason, not of your own, God has in his mercy, he's chosen you. And we should be thankful so we're going to declare this together this morning. We're going to read it together. I'll try to read it slowly so we can read it together. But let's thank God for this. Let's say thank you. Thank you, Father, that you have chosen us, that you chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. It's amazing. I hope you're thankful this morning. I believe you are. I think the second thing we can find is in verse 4. It goes through the beginning of verse 6. End of verse 4, beginning of verse 6. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which was he has blessed us in the beloved. I think the second thing we can be thankful for is that in Jesus, we are adopted. In Jesus, we are adopted. Listen, it's not just that Jesus wanted us. It's not just that God the Father chose us 
to be his human trophies of his mercy and grace. That were just trophies on a shelf of mercy and grace. No, no. It's that God adopted us into his family as sons and daughters. It's not just that he chose us so he can put us on a shelf. He chose us so he could be a, have a relationship with us. Not just so that he could display us, though he does, but so that he could know us. And so that he could bless us, so that he could include us, so he could love us, so he could share life with us, so that he could bring us into his family. I mean, the Bible teaches that we were spiritually orphaned. And I got to tell you, you know, it's, it's not like you and I were orphan Annie. You know, cute little girl who's a little little mischievous but kind of cute and has her way about her and, and everyone thinks, oh, she deserves Daddy Warbucks. I don't know, like we were the bully in the, in the orphanage. We, like we were the worst kid in there. And I know it's hard to see ourselves that way sometimes. Like, no, we're not that kid. I would never do that. No, no. In terms of the analogy, like we weren't like the person that deserved in some sense to be chosen. All of us were in the same place, spiritually orphaned, separated from God. We were spiritually orphaned, but now we're part of God's family. We have all of the rights and privileges of sons and daughters. And when Paul was writing this, this, this just blew the Ephesian church away. It must have. Because in the Roman Empire, in those days, I mean, sons and daughters had, had lots of rights, mostly sons. Just like they do today. That everything that, that was the father's would get passed along to the heir, the son. And today the heirs are the sons and daughters. Everything that is, is the mothers and the fathers gets passed along to the, to, the, to the sons and the daughters. They get to enjoy all of the blessings, not only then and afterwards when they get their inheritance. We'll talk about that in a moment. But, but now in, in life today, everything that's theirs is, is theirs as well. And that's true with your kids. You know that everything that's yours is theirs. And if you're part of an adoption story, you know that it doesn't really matter if you have biological or adoptive children. It doesn't even matter. It's, it's theirs, that they're grafted in, they're adopted in. And we know that story, and I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter to God. It was by design. He's adopted us into his family, and everything that he has is yours. That's what it means to be in Christ. When theologians talk about what it means to be in Christ, what it means is we are in him and he is in us. And that all of the blessings that are his and all the things that he has are ours. Because we're heirs. We're sons. We're daughters. We're adopted into the family. And so we're going to say thank you this morning. What an incredible truth and reality to be thankful for. So let's thank him. Thank you, Father, that you have adopted us. That you have invited us into your family and all the blessings that includes, all of it that includes, and it does. Amen. There's a third thing this morning, a third thing we should be thankful for. Then verse 7 goes through verse 8. Listen, or watch with me, or read with me. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. The third thing this morning is that in Jesus, we are redeemed. In Jesus, we are redeemed. Now listen, the Ephesian church would have understood this a lot more than we of the Roman Empire were slaves. A third of the Roman Empire were slaves. And, and there were really three ways that you could become a slave. You could be born a slave. 
You can become a slave by conquest. You get conquered by someone and you become a slave. Or you can become a slave through debt. And most of the Roman citizens, they weren't conquered by a lot of folks. They were, they were slaves because they were either born that way or they were slaves because of debt. They had too much debt and they become slaves to work off their debt. A hundred percent of the human race are slaves to sin. Thirty percent of the Roman Empire were slaves. A hundred percent of the human race are slaves to sin. You know what's interesting about this analogy is the Bible teaches that we are slaves to sin in the same way. We become slaves to sin in the same way that they became slaves. Maybe, maybe the Bible talks about this on purpose. That we were born into sin through the sinful nature of our parents. The Bible calls that, theologians call that original sin. And we were also, in a sense, conquered by sin after the fall. We were unable not to sin. After the fall, we, we could try not to sin, but it, it just, it's, it's not going to happen. We're unable not to sin. We're also in debt to God because of our sin. Like, we have sinned against God. And we owe a debt that we cannot pay. We are slaves to sin. But now we're free to be holy and joyful. Because you know what the reality is? We are born again. We're not just born into sin. We're born again. We're born again to a new and living hope in Jesus Christ as Christians. We're reborn. We're born again. And we're freed by Jesus through his conquest of sin on the cross. Jesus conquered sin and death and hell on the cross. And we're freed of our debt because of our sin. Is, is Because our sin, rather, is, is paid through Christ. The debt of our sin is paid through Christ. Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay. Jesus paid the debt that we owed. And so we are no longer slaves. We are free. We are free to be holy. We are free to live lives that God wants us to. And we're free to be joyful. Because holy lives are joyful lives. And so we're going to say thank you. We're going to say thank you this morning. So say it with me. Thank you, Father, that you have redeemed us. That you have freed us from our slavery to sin and released us to obey and enjoy you. We get to obey God and we get to enjoy God now because of Jesus. There's a fourth thing we can be thankful for. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Church, in Jesus we are forgiven. In Jesus we are forgiven. In Jesus, we are not only free, we are forgiven. And that is the reason we are free. You know, if you ever find yourself in, a, in our Apprentice Academy, Pastor Matt Bowman will do some sessions on this, on, on providence and such, and, and he'll do some sessions on, on free will and election and these sorts of things. And he'll do some, some sessions on how this kind of all shifts out. And if you get in that session, sign up and you sit in one, you're going to see this slide that he'll show you. He'll show you slides something like this that talks about creation and fall and redemption and recreation. And you'll see this slide and he'll talk about this reality that in creation we were as human beings able to sin and able not to sin. That Adam and Eve had those abilities. They were able to sin, but they were also able not to sin. And unfortunately they did sin against God and we call that the fall. 
And after the fall, things change up a little bit, that we are still able to sin, but listen to me, we are now unable not to sin. Do you, you recognize that in your life, that you can't help yourself? That you can't go through a day, in a sense? Like, we're unable not to sin. There's still some shadows of that in our lives, even as Christians, unable not to sin. But through the redemption that we have in Jesus, by Jesus coming and living a sinless life on our behalf, and dying on the cross, in our place and for our sins, and raising to give us a new life that we could never have otherwise. And when we talk about that and when we say it as pastors, it's this, that we're now able to sin, but also able not to sin again. You don't have to sin. You don't have to give in to that temptation. You don't have to act that way. You don't have to think those thoughts. You don't have to treat people like that. We don't have to sin anymore because we have Jesus and his spirit that indwells us. We've got the spirit who convicts us. He's always going to give us a way out of those temptations. And we now have been transformed because we are in Christ. And the great news is that we're actually headed to today in the recreation that we're not only unable to sin, but we're able not to sin. Both, again, like we're headed to a great spot <laughs> that was better than the beginning. It's incredible. I hope this makes sense. We still sin, don't we? And even though we're not, we're able not to, we need forgiveness as much as we need freedom. We were liable for our sin. It was our responsibility. It was our liability. But now we're forgiven for our sin in Jesus. And I know this is a basic reality, but let's not take these things for granted. Oftentimes when we sit down around the table on Thanksgiving, like we're thankful for things that a lot of times we take for granted. Village Church, let's not take this for granted. We're forgiven. We don't have to be a slave to sin. And we're also forgiven when we do. And so let's say thank you. Can we say thank you together? Thank you, Father, that you have forgiven us, that our sin is forgiven, past, present, and future, and that the slate of our lives is wiped clean. It is. And I hope we're thankful. The fifth thing I think we can find in verses 9 and 10. Look at it with me making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. For this church, in Jesus, we have purpose. In Jesus, we have purpose. We were, we were living for things that are too small. We were living, I mean, before we were in Christ, we were living for things that are too small. We were living literally for things. Like some of us were living for things. Like we were living for possessions. For like things that, that have no measurable eternal value. They're just things. Most of which, unless you live in Southern California, depreciate, you know? Like we live for things that depreciate. Caveat Southern California, right? That's, that, but, but you get the point. Living for things still. We're living for careers. To be like the best in our, our field or our industry. To get sort of to the top of the, the heap. I mean, we were living for some good things that aren't the best things. I mean, we live for our families. I mean, some people just are devoted to their family. Like, that's all it is in life for them. It's all their family. Please hear me. That's a root from God. It's not an ultimate thing. 
And there's some people that realize these things, people that are outside of Christ. And maybe this was you. I talked to a person recently who's, you know, not a Christian. But what they do is like they live for philanthropy. Like they live for good works. They live to do good things for other people because they realize like it's not in the stuff and it's not in the success and it's not in all of those other things that they try to find their significance in. And so they're just still searching. We were living for things that are far too small. And now we, we live for things that are too great to imagine. I mean, we get to be wrapped up in God's great mission and his purpose. And in a sense, if you took sort of your, your, the mission of God and the, the sort of work of God in the world and you kind of grew this big box, like your box is like inside of his box. Like your purpose is inside of his. Like yours is this little, little thing. And, and as big as it is to you, it's really small in light of the whole thing. But now you're in the whole thing. You're in God's thing. So now everything that you own is for him. The job that you have is for his purposes and his glory. The family that you have is to make him known to the world that does not yet know him. The giving that you do is not just to help with someone's basic need. It's to help with their eternal need. Like everything that you have now and everything that you do is on a way higher scale and level. Has a much greater weight and purpose. I can't imagine living my life any other way. Can you? Just like go to, go to work, just like get your paycheck on your automatic thing in your bank, just like buy stuff. Like what, what, could you imagine like if that's all that your life is? No. We have it so much better than that. So let's say thank you. Let's say thank you. Thank you, Father, for including us, for revealing your purposes and inviting us into them. It's amazing. God invites us. Why did he choose to do it that way? I don't know, but he did. And he invites us in. I think one of the reasons, it's just one of the greatest joys of our life, isn't it? Six, verses 11 to 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him we have obtained an inheritance in Jesus we have an inheritance. In Jesus, we get all of these things. All of these last five things, we get all of those things, and we get more. We get a bonus. We get an inheritance. We get an inheritance. We were inheriting consequences. We were inheriting the consequence of our sin outside of and before Christ, but now we are inheriting blessings. All of these blessings we are inheriting in Christ. It's incredible, the blessings that we have, the blessings that, that he's given to us. I talked about this one time, and I, I got, a, got a negative Yelp comment, so I'm, I'm hesitant to talk about it again, but I, it's fine. So, I, so may, maybe like you, I know that I have an inheritance coming, and I'm not bragging, and it's probably not as big as some of yours, and maybe it's bigger than some of yours. I don't know. I don't even know what it is. But I know it's coming. And, you know, in our family, we have this joke about, you know, being out of the will. And so it's sort of like you could do something and be out of the will. So, like, I don't know, for example, if I try to discipline my children at my mom's house, I could get out of the will. You know, it's like I try to discipline my own her house, and she'd be like, you're out of the will. If you do this, you're, you're out of the will. It's like, it's a running joke in the family, right? I get to enjoy all the blessings of my family right now. 
And I tell my folks, just go spend it. You know, just go do it. Just go live. Go enjoy things, you know. Go give it away. They are the most generous people per capita that I know. I don't know anyone more generous than them. They give so much. Go give it all away for the sake of the kingdom. But in some sense, I know it's coming eventually. Like, I get to enjoy all of it now, and I know there's something coming. It's a bonus. It's a blessing. It's unbelievable that that's true for some people in life. Okay, caveat for the Yelp people. I'm not bragging. I'm just saying, okay? It's just an example. All right. You get the picture because maybe some of you are experiencing or have experienced the same thing. Recently, um, my family was watching a movie, and at the end of the movie, there was this art auction. Maybe you know the movie now. And at the art auction, there's a, there's a picture of this guy's wife, and, and they start the auction, and the picture goes up for sale, and no one's bidding on it. It's just a picture of her. And it starts at 1000 and no one does it. And it goes to 900 goes to 800 Anyway, eventually it goes down to like $600. And, um, and the, this guy buys it for $600. And this guy's got a collection of, of art that's worth millions and millions and millions of dollars. And in his will, he just said, hey, whoever buys the photo, the painting of my wife, gets the whole thing. And so at the end of the movie, the guy, the guy's like, pay 600 bucks for the, the painting of the, the wife because he had some kind of relationship with this man and heard stories about her, and it was valuable to him. And so you purchase the picture of the wife, you get the millions and millions. And um, what a great, what a great example. Like, what a great, this is the way it is for us. Like, like you get the son, and then you get everything else that comes with it. Right? You get Jesus because he's valuable, you choose Jesus because he's valuable, right? You, you get Jesus and you get everything that comes along with, with, with getting Jesus. And getting Jesus is enough. There's so much more. And we should say thank you for that. It's amazing. It, there doesn't need to be more. He is enough. And, and we don't even know what the blessings are, like the other side of heaven. We don't even know what all the inheritance is. It's unbelievable. It's immeasurable. Let's say thank you. Thank you, Father, for our inheritance and that there is more that awaits us in the life to come than in this life. Lastly, this morning, look at verse 13 and 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. We were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. This verse connected to the last idea, but I believe it highlights one last thing that we can be thankful for this morning, and it's this, that in Jesus we have his spirit. That in Jesus we have his spirit. And all of this is true because of this. It, the spirit is sort of the bookends. It's, it's the Holy Spirit of God generates our hearts. He changes our hearts that are hardened toward God, and he softens our hearts toward God so that we could even see any of these realities in the first place. He's at the beginning. He's at the, he's at the bookend at the beginning that allows for all of these things to be realities for us, and then he's the bookend at the end, which, which solidifies these things, seals them. It's sort of the down payment for the promise. It, it reminds us that those things that are coming are also going to be true. It's the bookend of all of these blessings. We have the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us as 
and before we, we were living lives where we were just relying on ourselves to try to make the kind of life for ourselves that we wanted, that we thought we deserved, that we thought we needed, relying on ourselves to make our hopes and our dreams, in a sense, come true. But now we have, we have so much more than we ever would have had otherwise, and it's all because we have the Holy Spirit of God. Now we are assured by God that we have the things that we have in Christ, and we are assured by God that we have an inheritance that awaits us. And how are we assured? Because it's presence that indwells us. It's the down payment. It's the reminder to say, Lord, it's coming. You have it now, but it's also coming. It's an already and not yet, just like a lot of things in the Christian life. And if you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, you know. You know he comforts you, and you know he convicts you. And you know he enables you to live the Christian life in the way that you do. To have the joy that you do as you live out the life that God intended for you. And it's only possible because of the Holy Spirit of God. And we want to say thank you. And so this morning we say together, thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit that you empower, enable, and assure us with your presence in us. Unbelievable. You guys ever stop to think about that for a moment, that the presence of God indwells us by his spirit? I mean, is that just a jaw dropper? It's unbelievable. If the rest of the six, you know, we're like, eh, we're thankful for that. I mean, that is unbelievable. And it's the good news this morning. There's always good news, and this is it this morning, I believe, that as Christians, we have immeasurably be more to be thankful for in Jesus because of the immeasurable work of Jesus. This is all the stuff that he's done for us. All the stuff that we can be and we should be, and I hope we are thankful for this morning. And so as a, as a church, just kind of an ongoing tradition, I guess the last few years, just to remind ourselves of these and similar things, to rehearse these things, to remember them, to reflect on them, and to recite some of these things together, to declare these truths together, to reaffirm that we believe these things, that these things are true of us, and we're thankful. Are you thankful? You know, the last Sunday of every month as a church, we, we have a tradition. We have a family tradition. It's called communion. And this, on the fourth Sunday of every month, we share communion together. And we sort of do this tradition every, every week, but generally we do that as a responsive thing. And you go to the back and you take communion when you're ready. And this morning we're going to do that a little differently. Our, our sort of way, our sort of tradition as a church on the fourth Sunday is that we pass these elements together and we, we take communion together. And I think the interesting thing this morning about what we've been talking about is that as a church, when we do this, this, this is a tradition for us. In this we are rehearsing. In this we are reflecting. In this we are remembering. In this we are seeing something of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In this we are, we are declaring things together. I mean, in this cup and in this bread, we're reminded that God has chosen us and invited us into his family. In the cup and the bread, we're reminded that, that we are adopted into his family, that we're sons and daughters because of what he's done, that we're redeemed by his blood. The cup reminds us of that, that we're included in his body. The bread reminds us of that as sons and daughters even. The bread and the cup remind us of the sacrifice that Jesus paid, that we are forgiven. The bread and the cup remind us that now we can be free to live the life that God has for us, that we are redeemed that we're invited into God's family, that we're engrafted in, that we're part of his body, and that we're also part of what he's doing 
Because he said to his disciples that they should do it as often as they do it in remembrance of him and, until that day comes again. And, and they get to remember that he's coming again in between now and then. There's things that we have to be about as his people. It reminds us of all of these things. Communion reminds us of all of these things and more. And so we get to share it together this morning. And so the, um, your pastors are going to come forward during this first song and pass the elements to you. And, and then between the first and second song, we're going to take the elements together. And this is a family tradition. And so if you're not yet a Christian, you don't need to feel like you need to grab these elements and, and be part of the family tradition this morning. We'd love to explain it to you. We'd love to share a bit more with you about who Jesus is and what it means for us to share this tradition. And, um, and maybe next time you share it together with us. Back to 1 Corinthians where we started our morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. And so we're going to take it together, receive it together, proclaim his death until he comes together. So the pastors will come forward as we sing. Why don't you take a moment just to kind of sing, prepare your heart, and we will take communion together.